0: Hello and welcome to the Anita Po show and the Bitcoin for Fairness series. In this show, we talk about the role Bitcoin plays in enabling economic empowerment for individuals and communities by providing fair and open access to a global financial network. My guest is Craig Raw, founder and developer of Sparrow, a Bitcoin desktop wallet with a focus on multi-signature for distributed self-custody and privacy. In 2020, he started Sparrow out of the desire to build something with and for Bitcoin, which can fill the gaps he saw within the existing wallets. I started to use Sparrow recently and asked specific questions related to coin training and for his recommendations for human rights activists on how to use Bitcoin with a maximum of privacy. As always, you can watch this interview on YouTube or listen to it in your favorite podcast player. If you want to try something new, use a lightning-enabled podcast app like the Preeze app, Sphinx Chat app, or the Fountain app. Thanks for supporting Bitcoin for Fairness. Go out to the Human Rights Foundation, OKCoin, and leden.io. And now, enjoy the interview. Learn Bitcoin will teach you the why and how to use Bitcoin. Anita's work makes Bitcoin approachable, understandable, and compelling to those who are new to Bitcoin. Andreas M. Antonopoulos, author mastering Bitcoin and the internet of money. Order your copy now at learnbitcoin.link. That's learnbitcoin.link. Greg Rohr, welcome to the Anita Pocho. Thanks for doing this uh, with me. Um, please introduce yourself uh, to our listeners.
1: Sure. Uh, thank you. Great to be here. I'm Craig Raw. I'm the developer of Sparrow Wallet.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, but you have had a life before. So, um, how did you get into Bitcoin, and when?
1: So it's it's hard for me to remember the exact moment. Um, in my previous life that you mentioned, I considered it part of my job to just understand what was going on in the technology space, mm-hmm. um, and so I would spend a lot of time reading various sources various news sources that talked about it and obviously came across bitcoin while i was doing that Mm -hmm. and that was around 2011 Um, but i only really um, you know started to look more deeply in 2012. Um, so that's kind of the era in which i came in and i think i bought my first bitcoin in 2013. so you know that was kind of when i came in and then You know, just uh, ever since that point, just researched it and read as much as I could, Uh, and I I might say the information back there was really much poorer than it is today. Um, So I just was really trying to find any information that I could, um, looking in what is now obviously not the best places to me now. Um, But at the time, I was on Reddit all the time and just trying to understand it, uh, trying to, and it really, really took me many years to kind of develop a. Conviction in it, um, and a sense of of you know why this thing won't fail, mm-hmm. um, and and that was really the question that I needed to fully answer before I was able to jump in with both both feet.
0: Mm-hmm. So that was in twenty twelve then or something when you realized it can't fail.
1: No, no, not <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, I would say it it probably took took me three to four years to answer every question in my head to a satisfactory sense that I no longer worried about it. It was no longer a sense of, well, what, what about that? You know, is there a niggling doubt, doubt there? Uh, um, I like to go all the way down the rabbit hole and it did take many years to do that, particularly with, as I said, the poor information that we had at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree and understand that it's the same for me. I mean, I did like 150 podcast interviews and still I have questions which are open for me. Not that I think it's... It, it will fail or something um so but but what made you think that it won't fail anymore
1: well there's no simple answer to that i mean mm. you really have to go and answer every single question that comes into your head and that everyone will pose you know the the, the answer to that is would take us days to <laughs> get through so i'm afraid i can't give you a simple, simple answer to that but you you just have to you know every question that is if you are thinking about it and you're wondering about it, you, you have to yourself go in and answer all of those questions. There's no substitute for doing that work yourself, I think, because in order to develop the the kind of certainty that I have, there's just no shortcuts to it. Um, you, you have to have the right answers and have them fully explored in your own mind.
0: Mm, That's right. What's the most important property of Bitcoin, do you think? I mean, it's uncensorable. It has a maximum limit of 21 million. Um, It has a consensus. So everybody involved has to agree on the future of the the, the development and things like that.
1: Sure. I think that, um, you know, ultimately the scarcity is the most important, but you can't really divide that scarcity away from the other properties, it becomes worth much less if you have censorability because, you know, what's the point of having money but then you can't spend it because someone doesn't like what you're doing with your life. You know, that's. uh, I I think it's very important that you have the other properties built into it. Ultimately, I see, you know, Bitcoin fundamentally as a savings technology. That's primarily what it enables and that's something that is missing from... The world today you know you cannot really save in the world today. you can invest your money, which increasingly has meant taking risky bets on companies that you know ultimately not a great deal about. you know I think the only com- company that you can really know a lot about is one that you are deeply involved, involved in. Um, But to invest in a company from the outside, you know very little about. So ultimately, that kind of investment, particularly in today's markets, is increasingly just a gamble. And asking people to gamble with their life savings just to have those retain their purchasing power, I think, is a very very poor place that the world is. So what Bitcoin provides to the world is is a way to save. Um, and that is, I think, a hugely fundamental part in which our civil civilization is built, and allows people to lower their time preference, to consider planning for the future, and it just changes so many things about the society in which we live that really the the effects are felt far beyond what people would expect. Um, you know, just a financial sense of well being. I think it goes into every part of your life. So. Mm-hmm. For me, that's really the most important thing that it brings.
0: Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people who still are like on the outside and saying no Bitcoin, we don't need that. And the people who would need it the most, like we say, um, they also can't deal with the volatility because they have no money to save. And if they try to save a little bit, now we're we're just seeing another dip in Bitcoin. And uh, I I see again all those talks about Bitcoin is crashing and whatever. So what would you say to someone who tells you, yeah, but uh, the really poor people can't afford to save in Bitcoin because they will lose the money. Because if it goes down, everything is gone.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, ultimately when you are saving, you have to have a long Time frame. You can't have a short time 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 frame frame on, on it. And yes, it is scary to see Bitcoin go down, um, particularly if it is the savings that that you, you have. And it's difficult to to have the kind of trust to know that it will go back up again. Right? That's a difficult thing. I mean, we can never precisely know what the future has in store. So, you know, that kind of trust is only built over time. You know, do. OG Bitcoin is worried when the price goes, goes down. No, because they've been through, through that. But it is scary for someone coming into it. And that's, that, that's just a, a reality. We are watching the monetization of a, of a good for the first time in thousands of years. We've mm-hmm. never seen this before. And it's going to be a bumpy road. It's not going to be a straight line. That is, unfortunately, the effect of humans on Bit- Bitcoin. Humans get scared. Humans sell. And then they buy again and that is the effect of human nature that you are you're seeing it's not actually a, a function intrinsic to bitcoin itself which is extremely predictable but and you know we are using it and it is a tool for us so um you know we have to accept that with that kind of human um intervention we're going to see you know the kind of uh, ups and downs that come with human emotion
0: Yeah. You're the lead developer, founder, or I guess it's a one-man show, Sparrow Wallet? Yes,
1: it's all of the above.
0: All of the above. And uh, why did you start the Sparrow Wallet, to develop the Sparrow Wallet? Uh,
1: Really, I just wanted to um, be part of Bitcoin's journey. I see it as such a fundamental invention um, that I think it is... It is so important to mankind that um, it's really going to be, be seen in the same way as the rise of the Internet and that kind of thing. I, I, you know, it's difficult to compare the two. they are. One is dependent on the other, and so and so forth. But you, know, to, for me to be part of that journey, even in some small way was there, I just couldn't see a better way to spend my time. Uh, you know, it was just clear that that was what was calling to me. Um, on a very deep level after, as I said, all these years of researching it and understanding it. I just wanted to build something and that's the kind of person I am I like to create. I am a developer um, and for me, there was a a very big gap in the Bitcoin tooling, particularly around sig at the time. Um, I was trying to create a sig wallet. I was using the Electrum wallet. Um, and although I could do it, it required, you know, the kind of um, development know-how that very few people have, and it was just difficult and left me feeling quite uncertain. It was sort of building on an unstable stack of things, and I just felt, no, you know, this can be done better, and that's kind of how it all began, just really wanting to build, and it sort of tied in very well with the start of, the COVID pandemic, you know, some good things did come of it. And for me it was really, you know, I'm um, can't leave my home. We had uh-huh. pretty severe lock lockdown lock down here. And it just gave me the gave me the kind of focus to be able to spend a lot of time into it, really dig into it and and uh, and take my time to build it exactly as I wanted it to be built. Not take any short shortcuts. Just to really get it get it right, um, and that's kind of been the whole sort of ethos. I just kind of wanted to build it the way that I would want, want it to be, regardless of how long it takes or what um, additional you know hills in, there are that need to be climbed.
0: Mm-hmm. The multi sig is the one thing. What is the other thing that you have a focus on?
1: Privacy. Um, you know that for me is is very clearly been something which. Um, has been largely, um, well, I I think not received enough focus on the base layer. And I think, you know, the reality of it is um, we don't have privacy in Bitcoin baked in by default. So it's up to us application developers, application level developers, to build it in and build in the tools that enable people to be more private because you, you know, the sort of layer one, the protocol layer, doesn't have it built in. So that for me has been a very big focus, is building in various tools, um, uh, sort of reimagining them on the des- desktop that allow people to transact in a more private way.
0: Mm-hmm. Why on the desktop?
1: The desktop is uh, for me, you know, and and, you know, I I I want to caveat this at the start by saying I completely understand and um, accept that most people will interact with the internet and with Bitcoin with a mobile phone. But for me, you know, for what I said earlier, I built Sparrow primarily for my own needs first, and. Mm For me, I'm going to interact with Bitcoin using the most powerful device that I have, right? Because these are my life savings, right? It's very important to me that I'm not doing it on a restricted device. And a phone is a restricted device. It's got a small screen. It's got a reduced, you know, processing power. So in other words, it can't, various things like it can't encrypt files as well because it takes much longer to do various things when you don't have as much processing power. So there's just a number of different, Um, compromises that you need to make all the way along in order to run a Bitcoin app on your phone. And for me, it was was about not trying to make those compromises and just really taking the best possible environment and building the best possible application for it.
0: Mm Are you using Linux or a Mac or a PC for all, your work?
1: All, all of the above. Of yeah, I obviously have to <clears throat> test on all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I use all, all of those. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, um, basically, um, I think, um, tell me if that's true, but I believe it's true that um, PCs, for instance, are not so secure than your mobile uh, um, phone, for instance.
1: I think that and that very much depends uh, on a whole lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not as simple a sta- statement as that, right? You can absolutely have a very secure desktop and you can absolutely have mm-hmm. a very secure mobile phone. For example, Android is really not very secure at all. And if you speak to anybody who knows a lot about, about phones, they will tell you Android is a disaster when it comes to being private on the phone. Okay. But you can install Calyx, which is much more um, private. You can or install what? Kalix, which is a mobile phone operating system. Ah based on Android, but with a lot of the Google stuff taken out and a lot of security. And then you can even go further and install something like Graphene, mm-hmm. which is even more secure. So, you know, it really depends on what you're, you're doing. On the desktop, you can install Tails, you can install, you know, operating systems that really, you know, as long as you practice good device hygiene, keep you uh, pretty, pretty safe.
0: Yes, but to be honest, it's the same with uh, very secure and multi sig Bitcoin wallets with those tools. If you're a Bitcoin user who's really just a user and not interested in it as much as I am, then you just go for the easy, convenient way, like you leave your coins on an exchange. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, it's up to us devs to make it easier, right? That's part of, part of the goal. I think that there are a lot of steps towards getting towards a more safe point though. And I think that, you know, what one shouldn't do is say, well, it's just too hard, I'm not even gonna start. There are steps that you can take, you know, for instance, using a Mac is almost certainly more secure than using Windows, right? Mm-hmm. Now you all happen to trust Apple but um, at least you are not dealing with a operating system which is fundamentally insecure from the ground up. You know, a, a Mac OS X is built on Unix and that is a more, or from a fun, fundamental level, a more secure way to begin. Mm. So even though you may be exposed to Apple, at least you're not exposed to the greater world. And And I think that, you know, Apple devices are relatively easy to use and they run all the apps that you would want and so, so forth. So you don't have to go all the way to Kalex or Graphene on step step one. You know, you can you can simply start by moving towards something which is somewhat more secure. And I think that that's the most important message to tell, tell, tell people is just start taking small steps. Hmm. It doesn't have to be the whole thing in one go. But
0: then you again have this centralized nature of Apple and the power it has. Of course. So it's everything a trade-off, right?
1: It is, but again, you know, you see exploits on Windows much more often than Mm. you see on OS X. That's just the truth of the matter, you Mm. know. So is it better? I believe so. Is it the best? No, but it's certainly better. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Can you please give us a a hint or tips how to set up Sparrow for coin joining the best way? Um, And um, is there anything that I can do that the coins are joined more uh, faster.
1: Sure. So I think one thing to understand is that when you are performing the coin joining, right, you don't want all your coin joining to happen at once. Imagine you did your first premix and then went and did the first mix, and then you got fired immediately after that. That would be fairly obvious to see on 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 chain, right? Everyone would see. Okay, well those coins went there and then there, 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 and there and there. And they were all in that time when your lap- laptop was on in the space of a half, half hour, right? Mm-hmm. Now that would make it very obvious to see that you could link those transactions up. And that's exactly what we don't want, right? We're trying to get away from linking one coinjoin transaction to the next. So having random intervals of time that are longer than the next block is very important. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason that it takes time it's, it's actually a requirement. Now, there are other coinjoin services that don't do this, and there are plenty of evidence in the media of how those coin joins have been unraveled because of issues. Like, it's not the only issue, certainly, but the sort of timing analysis is an issue, and it does contribute to that. And privacy is a, is a serious matter, so we can't take these short, shortcuts. Yes, it's certainly more inconvenient, to leave your computer on. But if you want to be private, these are the tools that you have. Once you accept that Bitcoin is not private by default and that you have to do these things on top, you realize that a certain amount of inconvenience is required because there are no shortcuts. You're basically trying to create a series of transactions that break the history, which is otherwise deterministically linked. So that's really the reason that it takes time, is, is that you need to have these indeterminate and random amounts of time between one coin join transaction and the other. In terms of um, making it easier, there are other tools that you can use. So there's, for example, the Whirlpool CLI tool, which is by some Samurai Wallet that you can, if you have, have a node, particularly the Ronin Dojo node, you can run that on the node itself. So you can set up your coin join with, so long as you use the same seed, seed words, you can set up your coin join on Sparrow, so you've got the nice UI and then you can turn Sparrow off and you can run the CLI tool on your node which is just sitting online somewhere while, 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 while you travel. So you know there are ways that you can do to make it, make it easier um, if you're battling to keep your laptop online mm-hmm. and connected for long okay. periods.
0: That's interesting because I do have a note, but it's in Austria <laughs> with a friend, go. so yeah, okay. Um, can you maybe break down for us the tools that I would say a not so technical person or even less technically than I am um, can use? to um, be very secure and very private in that way i'm asking because i'm always interested in bitcoin as a tool also for human rights activists you know who who should not be found by government authorities or police because just they because they have another political opinion or something like that what would be like if we'd say it's a person who is using a mobile phone and wants to receive and send Bitcoin, but not to be found. What are the, the wallets or, and also the devices? I guess now you would uh, recommend an iPhone, but what would you recommend here?
1: Well, actually, I wouldn't in that case. I think if you're using a mobile phone, the Samurai Wallet app is by far the most private way to transact. So, you know, a lot of the technologies that we just mentioned, for example, the CoinJoin, they implemented that first. That's kind of their design. Um, And I think it's a very good design. I think it's well, it's the sort of incentives work very, very well. And as we know from Bitcoin itself, that's an important thing to have in any model, right? So you have this idea that people come into a coin join and then they stay because they get the free sort of remixes. And because they stay, the, 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 the set of people that they, the sort of crowd that you hide in is much bigger mm-hmm. so that 's what I mean when I say the incentives work well, and they helped everyone stay more you know sort of private um, there are also a number of other tools which both sparrow wallet and so someura samurai wallet have so there's this uh, technology called book forty seven which you may may have heard, heard, heard of, and that basically allows you to post what we call a payment code, or in fact a pay nim, which is just a shortened version of it. And then you can then receive donations anonymously to that with any wallet that supports it, mm-hmm. right? So that basically, if you just post your Bitcoin address, then anyone can see on a blockchain explorer, I can see exactly how many funds went there and they can block any, any you know, they can go to all of the exchanges like the Canadian government did and say, you may not accept any funds from this particular address. But with Bit47, you can't see the, the ad- 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 address. What it allows you to do as a Bitcoin user is to construct a unique address which only you and the person you're paying know. Mm-hmm. And then that allows you to be very private because there's no starting point to be able to see, well, you know, where did this, um, Where where is this money flowing?
0: Okay, and that would then I guess also work if you obtained your coins on an exchange because yes, yeah okay
1: yes so so if you obtained your coins on an exchange and wanted to pay someone else um they could certainly see that flow of funds but they'd be completely unaware where you were sending it to they would just see this random address and they have no way to link it to the person that you're paying
0: mm-hmm. so which device would you use for that and which wallets it's uh, i think samurai can do that yes and sparrow wallet can do too? yes
1: yes so those are the only two wallets as of today, but I have reason to believe that there will be more soon.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I, at least I hope so too. Okay, is there anything else uh, human rights activists, let's say in Zimbabwe, has to think of?
1: Um, you know, without wanting to get too detailed, there are a number of privacy-related tools which help you when you spend. So what um, some 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 samurai wallets have called Stone, Stonewall and what you can use in Sparrow simply by clicking... The optimize button on the send page is in effect a a, a two-person coin join, which is either a fake two-person coin join, or you can actually collaborate with some somebody and then create effectively a two-person coin join with you. So that you both contribute funds and you get two equal outputs, one of which is the payment, the other one just goes straight back to the person who you interact acting with, and that really does what we call increase the entropy of a transaction. In other words, make it so much more difficult to tell what's going on. You know, you, ca- you can't just follow the flow of funds through. Now you've got a much lower probability. Prob- 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 in effect, it's actually cut in half because now you, you say, well, it could have been this one or this this one. And now that makes blockchain analysis much, much harder to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, please explain the anonymity set. I, what I know is with one coin join, I have an anonymity set of five, I was told. But I don't know what that actually means.
1: <laughs> so that's not actually true. Um, so, you know, one thing that people don't really think about when they coin join is that it's not just you doing the coin join, right? So let's say that you did your coin join and you were these, one of these five outputs, right? Was your, your coin. And then you went offline for, for a year doesn't mean that the other four didn't also go offline, right? They may have stayed online and if they continue to mix then nobody can say which is yours, right? So your anonymity is not just determined by the number of mixes that you get, but by the number of mixes that all your peers get as well. And that's a point which is not well understood. So just just you alone, you say you've only got one mix, but all of your peers probably have many. And you might be one of their outputs to the outside side, side world. So your anonymity set is almost certainly much higher than five at this point. It's probably hundreds, if not thousands. Oh wow! That's just 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 <laughs> because you did it a while ago.
0: Uh huh. And you just said, I said five. You said a hundred or a How high can that go? What's the scale? What is this?
1: It really. Um, it it can go you know as large as the number of people who who coin join you know uh-huh. it's it, it can it can continue to build out until it gets to a point where it doesn't really matter because they we're talking about such tiny fractions of a percent that nobody can ever understand you know but it's also important to understand just with that first link all of the deterministic links are broken so you can't say we know for sure. That these funds flowing into the transaction are the same owner as these funds on the outside. You get that with the very first mix.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, coming back to the the mixing, the post mixing. Now, I is it a, does it make a difference if I have like five UTXOs in there or a hundred?
1: It doesn't really make any difference in terms of the privacy that you you, you get, but certainly you know. It affects the fees, so you know you then pay less for the amount because the way that whirlpool works is you pay a set percentage on the pool size, not on the amount that you mix. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the smallest pool you pay a fee of five thousand sets. That's it, right? And you can mix as much as you want for that. So it's really um, more about trying to optimize your fees than it is around trying to you know do anything else.
0: Okay. Um one question more about that so i have all these UTXOs, and then i see uh, a blue uh, uh, bar. bar thank you where it's just it says it says registered one of 309 or 310 Correct. or whatever outputs and then it jumps to another UTXO. what is it doing there and when so, does it stop i mean when when is when 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 is it uh, coin joined again
1: it what you need to see is that bar then keep going, right? The reason that it jumps is that it refreshes the UTXO that is registered every hour. And it just does that in order just to make sure that everything is still live. Remember, it's trying to effectively create this interactive transaction with you and four others. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, people might be going offline. You're not sure if, you know, we're trying to do this over this, what is actually an unstable medium of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just doing that kind of selecting another UTXO, and they're all effectively to the world much the same, it's just ensuring a certain amount of live, liveness check, if you will. But now in terms of getting another mix, you have to see that bar then continue on to the end, right? And you haven't seen that yet because you haven't been online enough, right? Mm-hmm. But but it does, it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you can uh, trigger it if you use sort of Tested mixing, you can actually go in and there, and you can mm-hmm. actually see it to a more, you know, precise degree. Otherwise, you just have to kind of be on be online, and it will it will happen with time.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you have a lot of focus on self custody and privacy. A lot of people tell me, "I have nothing to hide. Why would I need all of that?" Um, what are your thoughts about that, and where does this um, interest in the focus on privacy? Uh, come from in your from your personal experience or life or interest where, where does it come from
1: so my my answer to that when people say it say, said i say well great can you provide me if you don't mind with since you don't have anything to hide can you give me your email password um, and i will then take that and i will put up the contents of your email for everyone on the internet to see and would you mind and uh, most people Uh, don't think that that's such a great idea Um, so I think everybody has a degree to which they uh, you know want to be private and it's not really about having something to hide it's more about the sense that as human beings we have a desire to be private to have certain parts of our life to be private and and that's just a normal
0: uh,
1: a normal thing to want in fact I believe it is a basic human right
0: I think so too yeah
1: and and once you get to that point, then I, th- I think it's reasonable to extend that and say, well, my finances, my, my money should be private as well, you know, to the extent that I would like it to be. Um, it's not about not paying tax. It's not about trying to break the law. It's just about trying to say, you know, I desire a certain amount of privacy with the finances. I don't want everybody to know everything that I spend money on, how much I spend, spend it on. And I think that that's also normal and everyone wants it. So it's really about just giving us, I think, what are basically what human beings want.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah. Um, and I'm very glad to see that more and more developers focus on that and there are more tools um, being built at the moment in that direction. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's still small and slow in my yeah. view, but I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I hope so too, because otherwise um, the the forces that don't want Bitcoin to succeed um, have a much greater impact. I mean, the, I think there are a lot of people um, who who um, don't want Bitcoin to be an alternative for their people. I mean, just look at Zimbabwe. I mean, I'm always like talking with the people there when I interview them. And the first thing is, what um, shall we not talk about? And it's always, no, please don't talk about the government. And um, I can imagine that they want to crack down once uh, on people who are using Bitcoin. I've heard you talking in another interview, I think it was on Stefan Rivera's podcast, um, you said um, you don't think that there will be a ban on Bitcoin anymore. Like, it might be, I guess, in some countries, but in general, you don't think. How does that come? Why don't you think that?
1: Um, Look, uh, you know, obviously, I think it can happen in any, you know, (laughs) country but i don't think it's going to happen on a global level um i think that we've we're past that point now hard to say precisely why but um i think for me the more important factor now is as we were just saying are we going to to get the privacy in bit bit, bitcoin that we want or are in effect we just going to have this You know transparent public ledger where everyone's names are attached to everything and that's a scary place and i think we could end up there Hmm. so for me the fight is very much on as to whether we're going to win that or not Uh, you mentioned the corporate interests you know the corporate interests have no interest really in trying to make people more private Um, that's a human need and i think very much an individual need um, and that, for me, is is something that I do worry about. I worry that lightning is headed towards a custodial um, main implementation. Most of the way people interact with it will be on a custodial level. I, I am concerned about that. I don't think it's a necessarily a foregone conclusion that it will happen, but it does seem to be the way that it may may go. And, and I do worry about, about that. And I worry about the privacy on that layer as well. Um, I worry that not enough is being done there. So, um, and that's not to take away from the people who are working on, on it, but at these, there are very difficult things to solve there. And uh, I fear that unless they are solved uh, reasonably soon, we're going to have such large corporate interests that just simply make any kind of changes um, too hard to make. Uh, that is my, my concern on that layer.
0: Okay, what do you think about other scaling solutions like sidechains? Or is there anything you think that will bring the scalability to Bitcoin that we need for it to be a tool, like a payment, um, a money that we can do, that we can spend worldwide?
1: Absolutely. I, I think that those things will, will come. Um, I'm not sure Precisely, whether it will be any one particular thing or just a mix of them, you know. But um, I believe very much that human ingenuity will solve these these issues. For me, the the question that remains is, as I said, are we going to solve them in a way that is, allows users to be private, or are we going to go towards this, you know, panopticon of everyone's information being, you know, of, of really less privacy than what we've had. In the past and i think that that's very much an open question today
0: Mm -hmm. i think we're going to see a world where we have a white bitcoin and a black bitcoin in a way like like white and dark is that something you see too like all the people who are coin training their coins now those coins you will never be able to sell them on an exchange anymore um, and then you have the corporate Bitcoin, which is what you say, completely transparent and and um, driven by corporate and governmental interest. Is this a view that you share? Or?
1: No, I, I, I don't believe that such a binary view makes a lot of sense to, to, to me. I think that to an extent we will always have a little bit of grayness, but... Ultimately, if you look at what a coin join is, it's really just a transaction with multiple participants. Number one, and equal outputs. Number two, and if you think about that, you realize that that's not really a strong basis for which to uh, to block anything. You know, it's it's kind of a. You know, are you saying that you can't have transactions which have multiple participants, or are you saying that you can't have transactions which have more than one output having the same value, you know if you really think think about that, that seems a very arbitrary reasons to block anything and i I think ultimately you know that 's just one way of doing things. there are going to be many others like coin coin swaps and all kinds of kinds of things that are uh, steganographic in the sense that you can 't see on chain that anyone 's actually done them so This idea that we're going to have this black, that's going to be able to be easy to tell, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a black Bitcoin, oh, this is a white Bitcoin. I don't think that that makes a lot of sense to me. There's just too many ways around around it um, and technologies that we still are going going to see that in effect, um, I don't think that that version of the reality is going to come to pass.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting that you say that because now at the moment, it's a fact that exchanges tell you, no, we don't.
1: Very few do. I think that, that, you know, that is largely, in fact, there's, there's a, people maintain lists of them and they really are isolated incidents. And it's up to us Bitcoiners to call those incidents out and to punish the companies that do it because they are in effect saying to us, you can't be private. Yeah. And that's a very, very bad thing to be saying. That's actually an evil thing to be saying. So if we do not punish them by calling them out, by restricting business to them, by by doing whatever we can to make it clear to them that those corporate decisions they're making are not in their best interests, then we are doing ourselves a disservice.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. But you know, most of the people like are using Facebook still, and I'm also using Google, which said 15 years ago, don't be evil.
1: <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, you know, it's also true that most people in the world are not using Bit- Bitcoin yet, right? That's so, right. you know, the 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 time is now with the Bitcoin as we have now to set the kind of uh, the sort of Overton window, if you will, on what is acceptable and what 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 is not. And I, and from where I I stand, and I might just be you know in a in a little bubble of my own here, but I think CoinJoin is becoming a far more accepted means to just achieve what, as I said, is a basic human right. You know, I I, I don't see it as doing anything wrong. And I think increasingly any um, exchange or service that attempts to block a coin join is going to get punished heavily by users who, who really are just you know, saying, this is normal. I'm just you know, participating with others to create a transaction with equal outputs. That's all I'm doing. It's nothing, there's nothing strange about this.
0: Hmm. You said you've been into Bitcoin about since 2010, 2012, that's over 10 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, How have your views on Bitcoin changed? Is there something you can tell us? Like, what did you think is Bitcoin in the beginning? What are you thinking about it now? Has there anything changed? What are the big ideas that might have changed?
1: Um, It's a difficult question. It's hard to look back so long ago and know what your mental state was. But I I think, you know, I I certainly had a belief that Bitcoin was much more private um, at the start. You know, I kind of thought that that was solved.
0: And I thought uh, it doesn't have transaction fees.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, learning that it's actually not private by default is quite a a rude awakening, if you will, um, to the fact that we might be enabling a a uh, you know taking away cash or at the same time take cash has been taken away should I say um, mm-hmm. providing the solution which just has this transparent ledger that anybody can see you know that's that's a worrying thing you know so for me that was I think one of the big kind of understandings that I came came to was there's some some something here that needs to be fixed um, and I still hope that it can be fixed better on the protocol layer there are things that can be done even you know um, without i believe making too dramatic a change um, it's it's really about trying to advocate for those those things and build them in where i can that i'm sort of hoping to make a change
0: mm-hmm. do you listen to a lot of like public opinion and twitter stuff uh, what is being said about uh, bitcoin or i try more? to
1: stay up to date yes um, i try to you know keep, keep up to date and talk to people in the industry and understand what their views are and sort of how things are evolving over time so yes it's uh it's an ongoing challenge for us all i think
0: and the bitcoin space in south africa how has this developed i mean you i guess you're one of the first here to i mean you started developing on it only two years ago but um when was the first meetup do you know that i mean there are meetups i think
1: yeah actually i can't remember the year that it was in it was Probably at least five years ago, but actually Andreas came, and he gave a talk, and that was one of that was an early Bitcoin meetup that Mm -hmm. we 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 had, and I think it devolved into altcoins um, later on. Um, But you know, certainly we had those sort of early beginnings. Um, In terms of more recently, you know, I think it's starting to come up again now. I think I think we're starting to see it, but I haven't seen a great deal from as I say my own bubble and perhaps it's been going on and I've just been unaware but I don't think so um I I think that we are starting to see you know um various efforts now and you know I obviously get contacted by people who are setting up businesses and you know trying to help people do self-custody and all of those kind of kind of kind of things um I think that um I'm quite hopeful with the way that it's building again now and it seems to be building on a much better basis of Bitcoin only, um, as opposed to what we had in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of crypto in Africa. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's true.
0: So um, there's a saying, um, you can't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How has Bitcoin changed you, if uh, it has?
1: I, th- I think it's purely, uh, well, not purely, but certainly primarily in the in the sense of lowering your time preference. Um, you know, you really can't explain to somebody what that feels feels like and how um, how that kind how you know lowering your time preference and your your sort of ability to plan and see the future changes everything in your life. Um, so I think that that's the most important thing. But it's also just given me a a sense of Purpose um, around my life, which I'm sure that you have as, as, as well, um, where you, you you just get a sense of this thing that I'm working on has value, has importance in the world, and sure that's not seen by most people yet, um, but it's gradually being seen by more and more you know gradually, and you can see it as you go, and it's a very heartening thing to see people starting to wake up to it. And you have conversations with people who were initially a few years ago very opposed to it and you can see them coming around gradually whether they like it or not because they realize this thing is here, here, here to stay and I have to make some accommodation in my understanding of the world to bring it in. How am I going to fit my world model in with this thing in it now? And what does it mean? And um, And that kind of thing takes a different period of time for different people. But I think that, you know, um, it's great to see that journey in various ways.
0: How? What are your plans for the Sparrow Wallet in the near and uh, further future? Um, where do you want to take it? I mean, what is the next uh, development step?
1: Um, you know, I think that there's no precise thing. I mean, right now, I'm, you know, for want of a, of a more exciting development goal, you know, just put together the first. Um, Apple has come out with this new chip, and it's a different architecture. So, putting a build together for that, which allows allows people who are running the new Apple Macs to run a native version of Sparrow, Sparrow, Sparrow. So, nothing but Bitcoin related, but important, none none the, the sort of less. I want Sparrow to keep up to date with you know where the 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 Bitcoin technology is going, particularly in terms of self custody. And in terms of privacy, you know, those, I don't see necessarily my role as, as trying to craft the next, the next cutting edge thing myself, um, you know, is it, you know, is it going to be payment pools or that kind of thing. Those are things are complex and require a lot of time. And I think dedicated focus, whereas my job is to more see what products are successful and how can I adapt the technologies that they use into Sparrow to broaden the reach of those. That's kind of what I think I should be doing. Um, So you know from that point of view I'll certainly continue to build on the angles that I've said. I'll just keep you know adding to them and and putting things in. Beyond that I don't like to talk too much about where I'm going and what I'm building and that's just a personal thing. I, I like to give myself the freedom to be able to think about it without um, getting into the corporate mindset of, you know, we need a 12 month road roadmap and what are we Mm -hmm. gonna have built by October and those those kind of things. Um, And that's just a personal decision of how I want to build this thing.
0: Yeah, I understand. And what are the sources you're following, like in terms of what's the next um, technology in that space and, and things like that. I guess you're connected with other Bitcoiners around the world.
1: Sure, um, uh, I try to follow everything that is sort of wallet related, um, so all of the kind of wallet tech, uh, I'm obviously sitting on the various lists and, um, you know, connected to various people working on the other wallets and we, you know, share ideas and we talk about what we're interested in and do calls and meet at conferences and things, so, you know, that's that's kind of how I sort of stay up, up to date. Um, but I'm I'm always interested in how Bitcoin's going to scale. You know that remains one of those, you know, perennial questions that people are trying to answer in various ways. And obviously, Sparrow needs to consider that because, um, you know, at some point that you know we need to go beyond layer one in order to be able to scale. So, how Sparrow is going to do do that is still very much an open you know question in my mind. And I try to stay up to date with all the different ways in which people are trying to solve that in order to. Um, understand which one has the best legs and which one is going to preserve Bitcoin's ethos the best as it, as it grows.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Anything uh, we missed we should talk about um, in the last minutes? Anything um, you want to add?
1: Um, no, I, other than just to say you know, to people, um, realize that when you use Bitcoin, your privacy is not guaranteed. And you need to use the tools at this time. You need to use the tools that uh, a wallet like Sparrow can offer you in order to achieve the privacy that I think everyone wants. Um, so it's not difficult to use these tools. Um, you know, if you are if you don't have a friend like like you, there's a documentation on SparrowWallet.com. You can read up about it. You know, it's not difficult to use. It's really just a few clicks. You're not going to put your funds at risk. Um, It's all, you know, you retain self-custody of your funds with all of these tools at all times, you know, as as we believe, as Bitcoiners. But, you know, familiarize yourself with them now. Start practicing with them now so that you don't end up needing them when you have to do a larger transaction and now you're trying to do it for the first first time. Um, My other advice is use testnet. Um, the next version of Sparrow will actually have a way to start testnet directly from the UI. It'll basically just shut down your current Sparrow and fire up Sparrow in a testnet sense, and you can connect to a public server, you can get some coins, and you can just try everything. And it's really a very underutilized resource that we all all have. Um, so, you know, that's my other big piece of advice is just to use it. Um, spend some some time, you know, don't just sit on your twitter feed or read your podcast actually go and use the tool practice with the tool yeah Um, and you'll you'll feel that uh, you're so much better equipped and you'll also just understand bitcoin better which is what we're all trying trying to do here
0: exactly thank you very much Craig. it was a pleasure having you and all the best to you and the sparrow wallet
1: great thank you it's been great to be here
0: that's it. Thanks for joining. If you've enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to my podcast at anitalink news and recommend it to your friends. A special thanks goes out to the Human Rights Foundation, Laden.io, and OKCoin for supporting Bitcoin for Fairness. See you soon at the Anita Posh Show.